The deeper Christian life is no deeper than that of the clear teaching of God's Word. It is not a mystery withheld from anyone, but made known to all who will listen and obey. Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. May Christ lead you deeper into Himself today as together we explore God's Word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. We're considering Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. The Lord God said to Satan, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all cattle and above every beast of the field. On your belly you'll go, dust you'll eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her seed and your seed. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. On the very first day that God cursed Adam and Eve for their sin and rebellion, God also gave them the first promise of a coming Savior one who would suffer and yet defeat their enemy. Satan had led them into spiritual death, but one was coming who would deliver them. But in that moment, God also promised that there would be a battle between those who would choose him and those who would follow after the rebellion that Satan had begun. It's still true today. There is a spiritual battle, the lines are drawn, and there is a Savior who has come to suffer for us, to set us free. The next thing you'll see here is that there's a promise of a conflict between seeds, the seed of the woman and the seed of Satan. And in a sense, this is describing the conflict ultimately that's between Christ and between Satan that goes all the way through the Bible and will carry all the way through, if you read the Revelation, all the way to the last book of the Bible in which Jesus Christ expresses his ultimate victory in time and defeats Satan and casts him into hell forever and the lake of fire forever and ever. But at the same time, this is also an expression of a battle that's taking place not simply between Christ and Satan, but it's also a battle that takes place between all those who are of the righteous seed of God and all those who are of the unrighteous seed of the enemy. And we could ask ourselves, what seed is that? So I want to remind you of a parable. It's in Matthew chapter 13. And there's a parable in which Jesus, he's the one in the parable, goes out and plants seed in a field. And in the midst of the field come up plants, wheat, good, healthy fruit, fruitful wheat that comes out in this field, and the field is the world. And then in the middle of this field, the enemy goes out, and he plants tares in the midst of the field as well that come up, and they are in the midst of this field full of wheat, and so in a sense, the field is polluted. It's not what it intended to be. And the Lord Jesus explained the parable this way in Matthew chapter 13, verse 38. The good seed, he said, are the children of the kingdom that are children in which my kingdom has come upon them, in which my kingdom is ruling and reigning, are expressions of my kingdom power. But the tares, the bad seed, are the children of the wicked one. Now later on in different conversations that the Lord Jesus had, for example, with the Pharisees, he's telling them that those that are of God's seed hear his voice, and they follow him. And they say, well, we're of the seed of Abraham. And he says, no, you're not of the seed of Abraham. You're the seed of the devil himself because he's a liar and he's been a liar from the beginning. And that's the seed that you belong to. And the Lord Jesus made a differentiation between those who are righteous because of their faith and trust in himself and those who are still settled in their unrighteousness and a part of the seed of Satan. And there's a a number of passages where I could send you to. We don't have time this morning, but write these down. Write down Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Write down James chapter 4, verse 4. We could look, this is all over. I'm just picking a few of them. Write down Matthew chapter 24, verse 9. In those passages, what you'll read and begin to understand is that the follower of Jesus Christ has been declared to be his righteous seed. 
And as a result, they live in a world that is populated by unrighteous seed or by those who are under the dominion of the enemy's rule. They might not know it. Unwittingly, they don't know it, but coursing through their very veins and through their life is a pathway and a impulse of rebellion. They are what Ephesians 2.2 says are children of disobedience. And it's against this world populated by these who are under the dominion of the enemy, who resist God's will and God's way, that we live in a constant state of contention and battle. And for this reason, we're told that we're going to be persecuted if we follow Jesus Christ. We're told that we're going to be rejected. We're warned not to live in friendship with the world, but to consider those and the things of the world as enemies. And the point here is that the children of God are at war with Satan. As a result, they're at war, in a sense, with the children of this world. And the war is real. And the world and Satan are against God's children. And our quest to honor and glorify God and live holy lives that give expression to His grace and His power reigning within us. We're in a battle between God's seed. It's a battle, a conflict between the seeds. Here's another thing, a final thing I want you to see here. There is faith in this promise. There's faith in this promise. I think if we look carefully at Genesis chapter 15 and we begin to understand it, we have an indication that God has accepted, even as Adam and Eve are confessing their sins, that God has accepted in Eve and Adam an expression of faith that brings them into his redeeming grace. He recognizes, particularly in Eve, a faith for his provision and an answer for her sins that's rising up. And so God says she will be the one who will be the mother herself of a righteous seed that's at war with the seed of Satan. And so he sees in Eve this expression of hope or faith, which, by the way, we'll get back to, but is verified as we go on and read the rest of Genesis chapter 3 and we get into Genesis chapter 4. In a sense, we come to understand that Abraham is the father of all the faithful, and the Bible declares that. But if Abraham is the father of all the faithful, this passage may indicate to us that Eve is the mother of all the faithful. Because she was trusting and believing and looking for God's provision. Let me give you a couple points of application. We're going to press on here. When an individual turns to Jesus Christ as their Savior, they find in Jesus Christ a champion who has won the battle for their souls. Jesus wins this battle for those who put their faith in Him. In coming to Christ, what happens is we begin to see that our sins are holding us in utter defeat and ruin. That our sins are driving us and separating us from a life with God. And somehow, even though this, we're being driven along, in a sense, we're the children, we're the seed of Satan. We're the children of disobedience. God awakens something within us that longs to be rid of our sin and relationship with the God who made us and created us. We want to turn camps. We want to defeat this strategy to bring us into ruin and... When that happens, we find that God has an answer for us. We also discover, although we want to be liberated from the sin, usually what happens is people try to overcome the sense of alienation and the sense of their sin and their ruin, their separation by God by getting religious and doing good deeds and showing up in the right places and trying to develop good habits and patterns of behavior. And, and maybe incrementally they gain some success, but ultimately... The sense of condemnation and the sense of separation and the sense of ruin still hangs over them. 
They know the problem is deeper than their ability to solve it in their own strength and their own power. At some point, they come to discover that there has been one who has come to overcome for them, to bring them out of the ruin of their sin and to bring them out of the power of their sin and to bring them into a relationship with God and that He's already accomplished the victory on their behalf. A battle has been fought for them and it's been won. That's the message of the gospel. Jesus has done it all for you at the cross. In the middle of all this struggle and battle that they've had to somehow perfect their life and change their life and turn the page to be a better person or whatever it is, they turn the page upon Jesus himself and they trust and they believe in him. And then he gives them a whole new book. A whole new book and the other one's just thrown away. And a whole new life. That's how it works. Jesus Christ brings us the victory totally because we have no power in ourselves to bring it at all. Jesus wins the battle for us completely. Now here's the deal. Once you come to Jesus Christ, the battle doesn't end. The enemy now is still opposed to you and he's opposed to you bringing that light and that truth to others and living it out before others because he wants the world to be drowned in the darkness that he has spawned upon the earth when he brought Adam and Eve into sin. And so he's opposed to you. And he seeks to come against you and your desire to live for him and please him. A desire that rises within you fully and is born within you when you give your life to Jesus Christ. And I just want you to know in the same way that an individual becomes a Christian and finds victory in Jesus Christ who has won the battle and wins the battle, in the same way the Christian now comes to Jesus Christ to find that he is the one who continues to win all the skirmishes and all the battles that the enemy continues to wage against you. Jesus gives us the victory. Jesus works in us. He works in us so that each day and every day I might win the battle to be a light in the world in which I live. I might be a battle to let his kingdom express itself in my life in an ongoing, vibrant obedience to him and surrender to him. And so the conflict that Jesus Christ has overcome for my eternal and everlasting salvation is a conflict as well that Jesus Christ wins on a daily basis that I might live out that salvation fully and express it before others and express it to the glory of God. Paul speaks about this ongoing victory. And by the way, why Jesus lives through my life in this way, that what the Lord Jesus does is he not only put his foot upon the head of Satan to crush it, and Satan does come against me too. And by the way, he bruises me. And he batters me in this battle. But the Lord Jesus, by his grace, allows me through him and by his power to put my foot on the head of Satan as well. And each day as I live for him and glorify him and honor him and live in the power that he gives me, God crushes Satan's head through me and the power that the Lord Jesus Christ lives in my life. That's what it says in Romans chapter 16, verses 19 and 20. Let me read it to you. Romans 16, verses 19 and 20. Paul talks about this, this struggle to find and express those things that are good and pure and right that, to shine this light and to overcome the influence of the enemy trying to bring us into expressions of evil and darkness. Paul says... Yet I would have you be wise unto that which is good and naive concerning evil. My understanding is a naive person is one who has not, in a sense, entered into the experience of evil themselves. They might know it as a theory, but they really don't know it. Paul's saying, I want you to be a person who's knowledgeable and has experienced goodness flowing from your life, and I want you to be completely, or I want you to be growing in a basic naivety about the things of this world. And the God of peace, verse 20, and the God of peace shall bruise or crush Satan under your feet shortly. Why? Because the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Satan's warfare against us is to make us active participants in evil. He wants to 
stir up within us a wisdom in the ways of this world, an expressive experience in the ways of this world. And how do we know it? Because we've done it ourselves. We do it all the time. And he wants us to keep going that way. And he wants that to be the pattern of even God's children who've been set free from his condemnation of sin. Christ's goal is to make us pure warriors who advance his holiness and God's goodness in the world. We were born for this battle. And Jesus Christ is living and abiding within us so that through us, God could continually give expression of his crushing victory over Satan and crush his head so that God through us would get all the glory. That's God's plan for our lives. Let's transition here for a moment. The question is, how is this life of faith possible for us? How do we live a life of faith in which we live out the expressive experience of crushing Satan under our foot? How's the life of faith possible so that you can for the very first time in your life, come from being a child of disobedience to becoming a child of the living God? How can you transition? Where is that faith possible for us? I want you to see it in the faith of Adam and Eve, and particularly in the faith of Eve that we have in this passage. And I had referred to you, again, that I think there's an expression of her faith, and I think we'll see it here. And I want to chart for you, in a sense, the rising of faith that came into her life And how that pattern of faith rising to claim this promise also is a pattern that we have to and God leads us to to find the faith that he wants to give us so that we can live in victory. Here's the first thing I want you to notice in the rising faith of Eve and we'll put Adam in there as well. We'll give Adam a a little piece of credit in this faith as well. And the first thing I just want you to see here is that victorious faith starts out with a devastating view of the power of sin. Thanks for joining us for The Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For more information about our ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.